Hello, everybody, and welcome to Azumer's Diary, where we unpack life's experiences from my perspective to laugh and learn. It is currently an early late night. Wow, I'm great at that. It is currently an early Sunday night, and we are here once again, another week into February. I hope you all had a wonderful week as we are now back on schedule. Now, fellas, let me tell you something. We have to start this segment the way we start every segment, but actually, it's going to be a little different, mostly because uh, I don't feel like doing awesome news. Uh, we're going to do some awesome news, but it's news that I find actually awesome because these are articles that I just found that I thought were interesting. Awesome articles. I'm not sure. I learned something. Hopefully you all will too. So according to a study done by over a collective of 50 years of studying couples across psychologists and sexologists, the number one thing that destroys relationships is not bad family members or bad in-laws. It's not putting the toilet seat up when you're being repeatedly asked to. And it's not about being bad in bed. Or lasting, really. Anyways, the number one thing that has been found to destroy healthy couples is contempt. Con- Bruh. <laughs> God damn it. Con- <laughs> Fuck. Contempt. Shit. Contempt. And what contempt is, is... Like, expressing a lack of respect for your partners. Uh, Example, name-calling, eye-rolling, and ridiculing. But along with contempt on this list, there's also criticism, defensiveness, and stonewalling. Which is like withdrawing from communication um, by like ignoring, zoning out, or acting busy. Which I'm saying these like these are my own words. Obviously, they're in the article. I'll probably just put it in the description of this podcast. But... What does contempt look like? Well, obviously, contempt is more than... Uh, people kind of say, when they say contempt, they think of something that is that is tempting them, right? You are look at something with contempt. It's tempting you to do something. But contempt isn't more than just criticism or saying something negative. It's when one partner, as, is, as said in the article, it's when one partner asserts that they are smarter, have better morals, or are simply a better human being than others. So when a couple is facing a challenge, instead of the couple's versus the challenge it seems like it's partner versus partner because there are little tidbits here there are snarky comments there are little verbal accusations or attacks that put one person above the other and this adds on over time now of course some people i can attest to this because i was like this once some people think they're very witty and very charismatic and by that uh they're actually just assholes who put people beneath them through their snarky comments or through their witty remarks but in reality over time, it is going to destroy any relationship you have with that person because I think we've all been on the opposite end of being the butt end of a joke repeatedly or being constantly put down or chipped at or, or lashed at or like ver- these little verbal pokes over and over again. It feels horrible and it does not feel very good. So, of course, it is no surprise that this is the number one thing destroying relationships. Um, but, of course, most of it fails most of these problems arise from poor communication now the article does uh, offer obviously examples on how contempt does destroy relationships um but it also shares some solutions on how to eliminate contempt in your relationship one is identifying and sharing negative feelings where you say obviously communication is a big part of this where you say this is making me feel bad and here's why and you are adding a request. You add a request in this conversation on, let's see, you know, what can we do to make this better? Now, of course, the problem still arises when you're not including the other partner and you are not making a, a bond uh, and take tackling this problem together instead of it making it originally how it was, 
which was partner on partner, you are making sure it's both partners against the problem. Did I just take a screenshot on my... Is that the button for screenshots? I hit a button on my keyboard and it... Oh, wow. That's cool. Anyways. Uh, now, of course, uh, you invite your partner to the conversation. Like saying, do you think we can do that? Or what do you think of that? Or whatever. Um, the second solution offered is creating a culture of appreciation. Where we have, obviously, positive statements... Versus negative statements. Negative statements include nagging, criticizing, ignoring, eye-rolling. And positive ones, obviously, include praising, complimenting, and doing something nice for the other partner. And the magic ratio here, which is something that we can all adopt in our regular lives, is at least five positive statements or feelings to one negative one. So for you shit talkers out there... You better get your asses ready to start saying something nice a lot. Because, like, this 5 to 1 is a big ratio. But I think this is an important ratio not only for couples to undertake, but for everybody in general to undertake. Because I've noticed in high school, people are mean, man. People are assholes. I don't think I can remember. Obviously, there's been nice things said. But I think a person that I haven't known saying something nice, I can't even remember a compliment uh, from this year. I mean, we've only been two months in, but possibly, I mean, like, the past 12 months. And... I think also a big issue with that is that there is a general consensus. I'm not sure if this is just with American schools. I'm not sure if it's just because of the place I live. For example, my mom grew up in a small town where everybody showed up to the same high school and your neighbors were your best friends and they always came over after school. So obviously it could be different where everybody knows each other. And if people don't know each other, they're still uh, open and welcome to get to know people. Obviously, that's just a cultural difference. Um, but here, high school is extremely xenophobic. As in, not as in, oh my God, there's a bunch of foreigners in my high in my high school. Get out! We're extremely racist. No, I mean in a more like a friend group type sense. If you walked up to a random friend group and were like, "Hey, nice to meet y'all. Can I sit here or can I whatever?" They would be so jarred by that interaction, and they would just start clowning on you relentlessly. And I think people. People forget how to be nice sometimes. And I'm not saying this from a boohoo stance of, oh my God, I get my feelings hurt all the time. Obviously, high school gives you thick skin, and that is important for later in life because we all know that the world is unforgiving and harsh, and that sheltered people really aren't people that you want to be around with and really aren't people that make it far in life. So, of course, the thick skin is necessary. But we're not telling everybody to pad themselves for other people and to put pillows around people to make sure that they never get hurt. But I think it's... The golden ratio is really never met. I don't think people really say anything positive. And if they do have something to say, then they never say it out loud. In fact, most of the time they say things out loud. It's something negative they had in their head, right? It's something quippy or something snarky. Um, But anyways, uh, of course, trying out the magic ratio is one of the options that can solve this problem of contempt. But yeah, to repeat myself, the four... Big things that seem to destroy relationships, and this is on a study uh, by psychologist Dr. John Gottman uh, in his book, What Predicts Divorce. Uh, this this is based on 40 uh, studies of 40,000 couples. Contempt, criticism, defensiveness, and stonewalling. Now, another article that I found interesting uh, along the same website is uh, kids who do these 12 things have highly sensitive brains. Now, of course, children that are highly sensitive are found in droves. However, the way parents handle their sensitive children can uh, diminish the benefits of them having sensitive brains in the first place. For example, many parents 
see sensitivity as a bad trait. Many people see sensitivity as a bad trait. This is ingrained in culture. This is ingrained in things like toxic masculinity and when raising tough children, things that make people look overwhelmed or passive or weak. Uh, It's discouraged with phrases like stop crying or shake it off. But of course, in order to approach this in a better way, you can garner more benefits for your child in the long run. For example, uh, sensitive children have been found to be more empath- empathetic towards uh, people. Uh, in a study, psychologists, obviously, with hooking children's ch- children up to an MRI, you know, the l- all the little stickers that they put on your head or on their body for the sleep test, and then you take them off, and it's the worst pain ever because they, like, are super good to your... Anyways, I went through that one time. It was absolutely horrible. Um, it was because I... It was, what was it for? Oh, yeah, it's because my nose was so incredibly clogged that I couldn't sleep at night. Um... And then they were like, oh, my God, why can't you sleep at night? Well, it's because I didn't blow my damn nose. But, no, they instead had to put a bunch of stickers on my my hairless, naked, 8-year-old body. Not naked. I had my chonies on. 8-year-old, <laughs> pudgy little body. And then I had to, like, tear them off after. Horrible experience. Anyways, they found that sensitive people or sensitive children, they had a higher level of empathetic response. And what that means is that if they were shown a picture of people in pain or people either smiling or looking sad the sensitive people's brains showed a higher level of an empathetic response like for example if they showed a picture of someone getting hurt then they could not watch that person getting hurt without feeling a strong desire to help now this can also be seen in sensitive children being more affected by more experiences than their peers but of course on the other end of that spectrum This is a double-edged sword. Obviously, they're more affected by experiences, but they will also get more out of support, training, and encouragement. So, like I said before, sensitive children is not a bad thing. It becomes a bad thing depending on how you handle it because your child can reap a lot of benefits in the long run. I say, like, your child, like, people's parents watch these shows. It's mostly this show. It's mostly people my age that watch this show. But I guess if you have a sensitive younger sibling, for example... Your boy, uh, you just have to approach it in the right way. I'm extremely hypocritical in saying this, but you know what? I try my best, and then I'm like, you know, sometimes I'll ask my sister. I'll be like, hey, how was your day? And she'll just, like, stare at me, oddly. She's five. Yes, I know. But it's not that complex of a question. I've noticed this, too. Children have varying levels of knowledge that you can visually, or sorry, verbally, verbally hear and verbally kind of see when you ask them more questions. For example, if they're not deciding to be little buttheads and deciding to be stubborn and not talking to you, you can ask them, what's wrong? They tell you. You ask them, how does it make you feel? They tell you. Usually, by the third question of why does it make you feel that way, they are at a loss for words. They can't formulate that quest, the answer in their head because they haven't reached that level of understanding of their own you know, minds and of their own bodies that they cannot formulate an answer and they do not have an answer for you. I found that. So my sister is a picky eater, relentless picky eater. She will scream and cry and throw a tantrum and a fit if she's forced to eat something other than the five things she eats. And sometimes she won't even eat at all. We will tell her, literally, we will never go to Disneyland. We will throw away your chips. We will throw away all your desserts if you do not eat your food. And she just doesn't eat it. She just doesn't eat it. But as seen uh, when I had interviewed her for the, what is this, the 11th entry of this podcast, we had a whole conversation about it. 
I caught her on the tail end of a tantrum, so she was she was riding off of her emotional highs, and she was actually chill and fun and nice and, you know, not a pain in the butt to talk to. But I asked her, I'm like, you know you need to eat better, right? And she said, yes. What, what did I ask her? I was like, you know you need to eat better, but then why don't you? And she just... I noticed, I noticed that too. She just never gave me an answer. She just kind of talked more about it, more about it. And is that tied to just their knowledge in gen- like their knowledge base in general? I mean, most likely, but I still find it really interesting that you can kind of see a child's progression by asking them questions. What's wrong? How are you feeling? Why does it make you feel that way? And then by the second or third question, they don't really have an answer for that. And if they do, then good for them. And I'm sure that you can continue asking questions and see where they, the answers stop. But it's really interesting seeing that stage uh, as they progress. But um, the most common signs of highly sensitive kids, or even this can be probably expanded to highly sensitive people in general, they notice subtle details, such as teachers' new outfits or when furniture has been moved. Other people's moods really affect them, as in they absorb other people's feelings. Not like, you know, it's not like a thing where like, Oh, I'm an empath. I can get your your vibes right now. They're messing they're messing up my juju and I'm just getting really down right now. It's cuz I I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't choose to be an empath. Empathic chose me. Anyways, it's more other people's feelings they take on as their own. And that's not their decision. That's not their choice. Obviously, they can be conscious of it and they can realize, "Oh man, this is making me feel really down." But biologically, fundamentally, the neurons that are firing off in their brain, they cannot control. And so other people's moods are going to fundamentally, psychologically and biologically affect them. But of course, continuing down this list, they have a hard time shaking intense emotions like anger or worry. Now, it doesn't say dealing, they have a hard time dealing with intense emotions. It says they have a hard time shaking intense emotions, which goes back to what I just said, and that they are affected biologically and psychologically to their very core. So they can be conscious of it, but the car, it's like, I use this analogy a lot. It's like fighting a self-driving car while you know where it's going. You know where it's going. But you can't you can't control it. The wheel is locked. The wheel is stiff. You're just along for the ride. And the best thing you can do is just be aware of where it's going and let others know, hey, this is where the car's going. Don't get hit. I've used this analogy so many times. Absolutely wonderful. But yeah, hard time shaking emotions like intent, worry or anger. I've experienced this too. Not saying that you know I'm an empath or whatever. Whatever. I'm I'm a highly sensitive kid. I understand sometimes that, hey, I should not be this angry or I should not be worrying this much. But for some reason, it just doesn't go away. And for some reason, I just get that knot in my stomach for things that I shouldn't be nervous for at all. I remember my piano recital, the first time I ever sung in front of an audience, sang, sung, I don't know, sang in front of an audience. I had this little, this knot in my stomach that made me sing, I'd say like 40% worse. Um, But I knew in my head. I shouldn't be nervous right now. There is no reason I should be nervous. I've done theater. I've done act. I've done been in front of audiences since I was in like fourth, third grade. There is no reason why I should be getting this knot in my stomach. For some reason, I had it regardless. So it was just hard to shake that feeling off. Continuing down the list, they complain about things when they feel off, like scratchy bed sheets, itchy clothing labels, tight waistbands. They bother them more. Um, the more, they're more almost like attuned, uh, to their body that the little itty bitty feelings and sensations on their body bother them, uh, at an increased level. That was a, that was an overcomplicated way of saying it. It just bothers them more. 
They feel stressed and fatigued in loud, busy environments like gyms or perfume counters because of the strong odors. Loud, busy, obviously busy doesn't mean in a more, uh, there's a bunch of other people here, but busy as in like sensory, sensorial, wow, that is not a word, sensory, 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 okay, I'm making up a word here, sensorially busy, like there's a lot of input, whether that's through hearing, smell, taste, touch, uh, sight, whatever, they hate feeling rushed and prefer to do things more carefully. They respond better to gentle correction rather than to harsh discipline. They make insightful comments and seem wise for their age. They have a clever sense of humor. What can I say? I'm a sensitive kid. They read people well and can infer infer with surprising accuracy what they are thinking or feeling. They refuse to eat certain foods because of the smells or textures. Are you telling me my sister's... Nah. Now, I haven't heard her say anything wise. She's, she's called me a poopy caca head, but I don't really think that that's a wise statement. I think that's more just personal bias. Also, like, anytime I try to get a wise answer out of her, she just, like, doesn't answer it, or she makes some weird TikTok face and then walks away. Um, they startle easily at sudden noises, like when someone sneaks up on them. I'm not going to say I've shat myself a couple of times when my sister scared me, but, you know, it's definitely happened sometimes. So if any of these observations resonate, with any of you listeners, or if anybody if anybody you know, just know that at, that is a positive conclusion, depending on how you handle it and how you take care of it. Because, like with anything, this is a double-edged sword. You are affected more, but you can benefit more from having this higher sense of empathy and sensitivity. Now, uh, the article... Oh, God, I just set my microphone way closer. Now, of course, the article also offers uh, parents some options on how they can help these sensitive kids thrive and how they can help them reap the benefits of their higher level of empathy. Setting expectations ahead of time. Sensitive kids need time to think and setting expectations gives them a choice. It can be as simple as saying today we're visiting grandma on the nursing home. We'll need to use inside verse voices and calm bodies because some people there don't feel well. You set expectations before they happen. Instead of arriving at a nursing home and saying, hey, you need to be quiet. You tell them beforehand and because as sensitive children, they should have a higher level of cognitive processing and thinking. They should be kind of they should be empathetic in the long run and they'll remember hey I need to be quiet I need to do this so let them know in the ahead of time let them know the expectations and what you want of them ahead of time instead of either lashing out on them or being disappointed because they didn't meet your expectations that you didn't set beforehand and just in the moment instead of getting mad that your child was loud in the in the nursing home even though you had never set that expectation beforehand set it beforehand and if they meet it, they meet it great. And if they don't, that's on them. That was, they they were genuinely at fault. But if you never set that expectation beforehand, then that's also kind of your bad. Practice gentle discipline. Because sensitive kids feel things uh, stronger than most others, they can get easily hurt. And when they get easily hurt, they can tend to be closed off, uh, a lot more numb, emotionally numb and it will dull their sensitivity and their uh, empathy. Now, of course, harsh discipline will have this negative consequence, but gentle discipline is the route to take when dealing with a sensitive child. Um, 
instead of putting them in timeout, maybe make a calm down spot with like comfort items like stuffed animals or a weighted blanket so they can calm down or they can sit there and think about their actions. But this time they can think about their actions with Bundy the elephant. Be their emotional coach. Of course, children, as can as has been psychologically shown, do not know how to react to things until they see you reacting to them. So every day we are already their emotional coach and their emotional regulation skills are learned from us and from older people around them. And we are their model. So being the better example will lead them to being better at handling emotions and regulating their emotions. If they are emotional, if they are doing things emotionally that you see as negative, then it might be on you because they got it from somewhere and they never know how to react to things until they see you reacting to them. So making sure that you give them enough knowledge about their emotions for them to realize that, hey, there are things that happen, but you don't have to act on them or you don't have to let them let it affect them as much is important. Advocating for them is also important. Standing up for your child is important because they need to know that you care about the way they think, that you care about them in general. And also get, get curious about their world. Set aside time to talk and play with them one-on-one separate from their siblings so that they can be heard and that they can be appreciated. Rather than asking yes or no questions, ask open-ended questions like what was hard for you today, which will leave more room for conversation, which will then allow them to flex their uh, advanced cognitive systems or whatever. But also, try to get them to tell you what they're experiencing through their body, through their five senses. Because... One, their answers might surprise you. And two, you will then force them to actually think and be conscious of those five senses and of their six senses because of what they're feeling instead. And that'll, in the long run, help them be able to understand what exactly they're feeling and why they could possibly be feeling it. By asking them those questions, you force them into a position where they are forced to confront Either their physical self, their emotional self, their psychological self, whatever. Anyways, I thought those intros, I thought those news articles were interesting. Uh, Obviously, I'm not sure how many people listen to this post have kids. But whether you have kids or not, I thought still it was kind of cool. Before we move on to us talking life, first off, ask a team the segment where we ask you or no. What? Huh? Huh? You ask me, you lovely list. Oh my God, I'm fumbling so hard right now. The segment where you lovely listeners ask me questions, no matter how serious or silly, and we try to answer them. We, I don't have a, I don't have a guest, and we answer them to the best of our ability. John asks, "I'm just getting into a high school, and obviously my perception of it has been." A bit skewed by pop culture and media. But there's one stereotypical thing that has happened to me. And that is the crush. I have this crush on this high school senior in my biology class. How do I approach this? Do I just appreciate from the shadows? Or do I confront this honor? I don't just awkwardly stare at her from the side of the room. We sit next to each other. And we have been we have made good friends. And she seems to appreciate me. But as a little brother... 
How do I approach this? Okay, John. <laughs> I'm not laughing at you. I'm, I'm laughing at the fact that I need to answer this now because I'm being asked this. Well, John, let me tell you. I was once a freshman. And by once, I mean like 10 months ago. But we don't have to talk about that. Biology class. I'm just thinking of... Oh, don't worry, John. I'm helping you. I'm going to help you out. We're going to talk about this. Well, I think what's happening here obviously, is that sort of, that weird affinity that younger boys have with kind of, like, older girls around their age, where they're like, you're cool, but not in a, oh, man, I have a crush on you, I want to date you way, but more in a, I want to spend time with you, and I just want to be, have a better relationship with you, not dating relationships, just a relationship in general, I want to spend more time with you, and, and I want to grow closer with you as a person, because for some reason, we just have this weird affinity. I was like that when I was like way younger, like 10, fucking, I don't know, 8 to 7 to 10, 7 to now even. I didn't have crushes. I would like, I would want to hang out with the older girls, but it wasn't in a, in a crushing way. It was more in a, I really appreciate you appreciating me and you're, I think you're cool and I want to hang out with you more. So I think what you're feeling might not be a crush. And it, it may it may entirely be because obviously I don't know what you're feeling. You just said that you have a crush, um, but then you're like she sees you as a little brother. I think either I'm gonna offer you two options here, maybe three. I can't count. I think either what you're experiencing is not a crush, and I think because of your unrealistic standards set in high school, you are imagining this is a crush because you're thinking very binarily, but. You may just be having a sort of sibling-like affinity with this person. You don't have a crush with them, a crush on them. You just find them cool, and you like them as a sibling. If they see you as a little brother, see her as an older sister. Change the perspective and change the way you kind of see that relationship. And instead of being sad that, you know, she's not your girlfriend or whatever, be happy that you have that older sister, that sibling relationship that isn't complete shit with another person. And appreciate the time you have with her. So it might not even be a crush. And what you're feeling is just that, that affinity uh, you have with this person. And you just you should just spend time with them and be better friends. If you do genuinely have a crush, man, I think you are going to have to just build this relationship with this person over time. Because she's a senior, so she should be graduating soon. Honestly... I am not, I would like to preface this by saying I'm not a professional in, in this field at all. Obviously a professional love expert, but I mean, I don't have, I don't have a degree on or anything on paper, but I think if you can, you might just have to take an L. Sometimes we have to take L's. Sometimes life does not work out for the protagonist. And by protagonist, I mean ourselves. You're seeing life through your eyes. You're the protagonist. I'm seeing life through mine. I'm the protagonist, whatever. Everyone is the protagonist of their own story. And sometimes we don't win. I think she'll maybe appreciate it if you admit it to her. But then again, she's a senior. She'll be graduating soon. So you can keep that to yourself. But if it really eats at you inside then communication might be the best way. But sometimes things are better left unsaid, no matter how morally right, no matter how morally correct, no matter how it is the right thing to do in a scenario. I think some things are better left kept to yourself. Because if it is genuinely, if you obviously if you can see that she sees you as a little, your little younger brother and you genuinely actually have feelings for her, then that's going to suck. Um, but obviously 
uh, you can't alienate yourself from her and disconnect yourself from her so that you can stop tearing yourself up about having a crush on somebody that's unattainable, unattainable because you don't, obviously you're not going to want to alienate yourself from her because you still want to keep spending time with her. You still want to keep appreciating her. And that's a big problem that people have. They know that it will be healthier to leave a person, but because they feel good in the moment of spending time with them, they don't leave, you know, leave them and take the longer, healthier, uh, healthier long-term option. I think just keep it to yourself. And if you really think that you can, without an explosive reaction, admit that you have a crush on her, of course, if you genuinely have a crush on her, then do so. Because as I just said in an article done by some big psychologist, man, communication is important. And you'll feel better as a person that you got that off your chest. Obviously, if they react poorly, that's on them. If they react great, then awesome. Great for you. Just think, what is there to lose with either option? I think that's what it is. Anyways, thank you so much, John, for that question. I hope I answered that to the best of your ability. And, of course, if you follow my advice and get a horrible response, uh, I do not want to hear your feedback because, like I said, I am not a professional, legally recognized as a professional, of course. Anyways, if you have questions for us, make sure to email us your questions at azumersdiary at gmail.com so that we can answer your questions in the future. Anyways, let's talk life a little bit. I got a couple things to say. Actually, do I have a couple things to say? I don't know. Rehearsals have been continuing to pummel my ass uh, as they have been for the past two months because our show is this weekend performing Chicago Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Tickets are $13. You can get them at the door. I say this like, you know, people are in my uh, location ready to buy tickets but honestly i have high hopes for this musical and of course it's not going to be the movie version right it's not going to be richard Gere, Catherine zeta jones and renee zellweger zellweger zell zellviga i don't know that was probably racist but i think with the production that we have with the tools that we have we have made it a genuinely watchable show that is worth the 13 dollars. and i'm gonna be honest i'm putting a lot of pressure on myself for this show I, uh, like I said, I think winning the competition kind of cemented to me that theater is my thing and that the acting world is, is kind of my niche and that I should probably continue to do it, uh, you know, in a, a legally recognized manner instead of just being like, oh yeah, I'm a charismatic per I'm a, I'm a doctor with good social skills, you know, and that's, that's some funny sometimes. I think I should just keep doing the programs that will benefit me uh, in the long run in regards to theater and acting and everything like that. I'm, I feel like this is my shot and this is my opportunity. I got the male lead in this, in this musical. I got Billy Flynn, the the big, big BF, the, the, the charismatic lawyer's son of a bitch who is actually just an asshole and in it for the money only, except he has a song that says all I care about is love. I am putting a lot of pressure on myself because I feel like this is my chance to succeed and to show people that, Hey, I'm good at this thing and that this is what I in a perfect world, this is what I want to do for a living. And, you know, this is what I want to do professionally. But, of course, I also want to have a family. And, of course, I can, even though we're not in a perfect world right now, uh, I can still, you know, go after and chase that dream. But it's just I, I want to support a family. And if I don't really, you know, make it big, I don't know what outlets I can have to be able to pursue careers like that 
while also supporting a family and while also having my own place and while also having my own vehicle. But I will actually be getting a hand-me-down when I do get my license. 2014 Honda Veloster Turbo. Honestly, not too bad. Some people have 99s or even 80s. Toyota Corollas for the win, though. No, no shame in that. I, I want enough to be financially stable. Obviously, the money isn't what's going to make me happy. It's going to be the people around me. But money doesn't hurt. Because when you have when you have money, then you don't got to worry about things that will stress you out and will make you less happy. And also, I want to have money so I can help my friends. Because I'm the type of guy that it's like if my friends are like, hey, do you have five bucks? Or like, hey, I need a couple I can need a couple dollars or I need this or that. I will just give them the money. Obviously, I won't give them, you know, 20, 40 bucks if they ask for it. But if I have a couple ones on me or if I have a five on me that they need or if I even have a 10 on me that they need, then I'll just hand it to them. Right? It's pocket change. It's not that bad. It's not that big a deal. Right? It's going to come back anyways. So, not saying I'm the sugar daddy to all my friends. But you know what? If they want to, I can be big papa if they want. Um, Don't take that statement and run away with it. Put it in quotes because then I will be broke. But I'm a bit nervous because if I bomb and if I don't do well, then I'm going to feel like this isn't actually my thing. But I don't think I'm going to do either. It's just the question of, am I going to be unique enough and am I going to be worth everyone to see to feel like I can make a big, you know, breakout? I, I can I can make it actually in the industry and I can have people see me and have them show me to other people who will be like, man, I know a guy that knows a guy. He should definitely get to know this guy because uh, I was looking at obviously doing the musical. You look at a bunch of other high school musicals and a bunch of other shows and a bunch of other people performing live and you notice that a lot in the comment section, there's a lot of comments of having big stage presence or, oh man, this guy was destined to be great or, oh man, this or that. But it's like, what does it mean to have good stage presence? What does it mean for people to say that you have good stage presence? What does it mean? What do you have to do physically, verbally, whatever, for people to say that about you, for you, for you to stand out from the rest of the crowd? What, what does it take? Because I will see absolutely stunning performances of Chicago, or I'm not even of Chicago, of a bunch of other musicals, of high school level productions, where uh, people have absolutely breakout. Now, of course, uh, among this group was Timothy Chalamet uh, at his high school, but he went to like LaGuardia High School of a Performing Academy and Arts or whatever, so all this stuff was professionally recorded. And of course, that was like the whole high school was based around the arts, so that was going to be a main focus of them. And Timothy Chalamet is Timothy Chalamet, but it's like you see people performing big and or sorry people performing extremely well and absolutely knocking their roles out of the park but then you go i've never heard of this person before and i've never seen this person before and where is this person and i don't know what this person's name is and yada 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 yada. so then but then you see other people whose names you do know or who are in the videos that you watch and you wonder why are they in the videos because this person was better but i've never heard of this person and i've heard of this person like I've seen people in high school productions performing better than people in the U.S. tours or in the Broadway tours. What makes them different and what makes them special? And that's something that's been on my mind a lot recently, especially with um, this show coming up. Because I think to myself, how should I be acting? How should I be portraying this character? How should I be singing? How should I be dancing to make it and to set myself apart from the crowd? What's going to make me special? 
And that's a really odd question, I think, that I have. You know, some people, they have events in their life that, you know, require skill or that require, it is a genuine measure of their skill in something, and then they don't do well. And then they question their entire outlook outlook on it. They think, maybe I am bad. Maybe I do suck. Maybe this thing really actually isn't for me. And they start to question, why am I doing this thing in the first place? But with success comes a lot of failure. So whenever you're thinking that maybe this thing isn't for me, and you genuinely think though, that there could be a a good ending to it and that you believe in your skills that you can make something out of it. How, but something tells you that something makes you realize that, Oh, Hey, I am not cut out for it. Just know that the people better than you have failed more than you. That's why they're better than you in the first place. Every success is built on failure. The prettiest flowers grow on the dirtiest black loam. That's something I've learned over time. So I just got to say, don't give up. But obviously, those existential questions remain of what makes you special? What makes you better? What makes me better? What will make me worth to watch? I had a punchline in my head and I forgot it. You know what? I'm just going to take this out. Because here at Azuma's Diary, we do not shy away from, from, from losing. I don't know. Whatever. Anyways, think to yourself that... The prettiest flowers grow the dirtiest. Man, I'm, I need to make that a t-shirt. That's a good-ass saying. Anyways, I have made my entry into Azuma's Diary. Thank you all so much for listening. And catch us next week when, once again, we can make no more promises. Good night, fellas.